You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. This world is not our home. Various translations of the Bible refer to Jesus' followers as sojourners, foreigners, temporary residents, and aliens. Yet we live in this world. How do we thrive? How do we shine a light for Jesus? Please join us beginning on January 5th as we explore these questions and the hope that awaits. The series is called Strangers and Aliens in the book of 1 Peter. The world is not our home, but we can have impact and we can thrive. We can know more of Christ. So that's what's next for us. And what we've been doing here over the past few weeks during the Advent season as we've been examining the different aspects of Jesus. We wanted to get beyond this idea that Jesus is some kind of a Christmas prop or a fable and talk about the fact that he's more than just a story. In fact, today we're going to revel in this amazing truth that he is the returning king. And since the birth of Christ, way back in Bethlehem and his, his, his atonement on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension, the church of Jesus Christ has been going about its mission to save men and women from the ravages of sin. And it's hard work. And a lot of Christians have died in the process. And it can be discouraging. That's why Paul is always saying, run the race. Don't give up. And so this morning, I want you to know that there is so much more to come. And not only is Jesus this amazing creator, God, the sinless, suffering lamb, not only is he the God-man, the incarnation, but he is beyond anything we can ever imagine. And he will return. He will return to defeat Satan. And he will reign then. And the beautiful thing about that is this reign includes you. And the future includes you and me as followers of Christ. So I want you to be encouraged. I I want you to orient your life toward eternity and not just what you see around you. Because The return of Christ is approaching. It is imminent. And I want you to take joy in the fact that he's coming back for you. And so this is what we're going to focus on this morning. But before we dive into our text, I really want to establish the fact that the Bible assures us of his second coming and his earthly reign. And again, the timeline we're dealing with following his birth and following his time on the cross and his resurrection and ascension is where we are now, and that's called the church age. The church age is the time we're fulfilling the Great Commission. We're about the business of making disciples. And the next big event that is to come is the rapture of the church. And that will be followed by the Great Tribulation, the Lord's thousand-year reign, the casting down of Satan, and then judgment leading into eternity. 
And there's a lot of nuances going on around all of those events. That's why you need to come to Revelation on Wednesday nights, because we're going to get more in depth. But the rapture is a time when we will meet Christ in the air. The word rapture is from the Latin rapio, or caught up. And that's when he will gather his sheep together. He will take the church to be with himself. And that means if you are a Jesus follower, the Bible clearly states that the Christ child will come back for you. And that's what I want you to take joy in this morning. The Christ child will come back for you. This is the hope of the believers. This has always been the hope of believers for centuries. And I want to show you some scripture that will prove this point. Jesus said himself in John 14, 1 through 3, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, to where I am you may be also. The Apostle Paul wrote extensively on this in 1 Thessalonians, for example, 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The author of Hebrews argued that Jesus is above any other being and that the second coming is evidence of that truth. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And in the book we're studying this morning, the book of Revelation, we see that John gives us this hope. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Man, when something happens in this world that is troubling, have you ever just stopped and said, please come, Lord Jesus? And that's our hope, and that's what we're going to delve into this morning. So I do want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And if you want to use that Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, this is found on page 10. 40. Or you can use the Ridgewood app as well, and you can just push on media to the study guides and to today's date. So Revelation 20, beginning in verse 1, we're going to go 1 through 6 this morning. So this little package of verses here um, continues a sequence from chapter 19 that included the announcement of the marriage supper of the Lamb that believers will take part in as the Lord welcomes us into his presence. It, it deals with the destruction of the Antichrist. It deals with the defeat of his enemies. And now the attention of John turns to the reign of Christ and of believers and of the destruction of Satan. So I want you to take hope in this. To know that not only is Jesus coming back for you, but he has a plan for you. And what you see around you right now isn't all there is. There's so much more to come. So let's begin in verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and great chain. 
And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded in the testimony of Jesus, and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So let's unpack this a little bit. This, of course, is from the pen of the Apostle John. And he's having this vision while he is on this Greek island of Patmos. It's kind of a prison island. And he's been banished there because of his Christian testimony. And he's having this vision, according to Revelation 1.10, on the Lord's day. Which likely means that it's Sunday. That's when believers celebrated their faith. And he may have been just having his worship time and his prayer time. And then the Holy Spirit carries him in to this place where he's writing down sacred scripture. And this whole idea of revelation is about things to come. The name itself means apocalypse. And it's sometimes referred to as the apocalypse of John the Apostle. It's about future realities relating to Jesus. But even more, it's about the glory of Christ. It's about worship in heaven. And, and as we study heaven and, and, you know, what heaven is going to be like, I don't know. But I do know that the Bible describes worship going on that's amazing, and it's around the glory of Christ. And so we can take heart that Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back for you because he's so much more than any kind of Christmas story. So the first thing we need to know about this future, according to this package of verses, is that the Christ child will reign on earth for a literal 1,000 years. Now, let me stop, and let me give you a caveat that I always throw out there whenever I preach from the book of Revelation, and that is this. Revelation is a very, very difficult book to interpret. Scholars have been filtering through this book for for hundreds of years. There's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. There are different angles that people come at it. And if anybody ever tells you that they've got it all figured out, then run. Because I'm not sure anybody has it all figured out. But this section of the book, at least for me, appears very much to be a literal timeline. And I'll explain why. And we see this truth alluded to in Scripture. In verse 4, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, there are some that argue that this isn't literal. However, in my view, that the, the, the literal part of this comes because of the Greek construction, the fact that it's only found in this one chapter of Revelation. And John mentions it six different times. It's also a period of time 
that before and after things happen. So it seems to be sequential. And so I think that it's safe to say that there's a good chance this is a literal period of time. And here is where we see Christ reigning as king. And so he's not just stuck in this nativity scene. He's not a snow globe Christmas character. He's reigning as the king. And, and, and the beautiful thing about this is that as, a, Christ, as a, a child of Christ, you will be reigning with him. And there are all kinds of amazing consequences to this. And so the first I want to get to is this, that the Christ child definitively controls Satan. And this is important because it will give you hope and it will give you a sense of victory in your life. I want, I want to go back to 1 through 3 again. And I want you to, to, to just think about what John is saying here. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and then threw him into the pit, shut it, and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Here's the point I'm making. is It's obvious here that it is the Lord who is setting boundaries around Satan. First, he, he sends him into this pit. He releases him for a short time. And it is God who is dictating the movements of Satan. And so this isn't a 50-50 deal. It's not like today kind of where, hey, you know that the Vikings are, are playing the Bears and like the Vikings are favored by five at home. And, you know, it's not like, yeah, God's favored by a you know, touchdown. Let's give him the points, you know, whatever. No, it's a done deal. And, and one of the amazing places in Scripture that we see this kind of a thing happen is in the book of Job. And those of you who are familiar with the book of Job know in the first chapter there's this strange meeting that takes place. And Satan is there. And God is there. So already, you know, it starts to blow your mind a little bit because how does this cosmic meeting happen? But the first thing that happens is that God asks Satan, where have you been? And in my paraphrase, roaming in the earth. And then something stunning happens. God asks Satan to consider my servant Job. So God is offering Job up. It's not Satan's idea. It's God's idea. And he's offering him up. And then Satan sneers at God and says this, You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. See, Satan is convinced that if God withdraws his blessing from Job, because Job was a wealthy man, that Job would cave in. But God shows his sovereignty in 1.12 when he says this, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. So take what he has, but only against him do not stretch out your hand. You can take what he has, but you can't harm Job. 
And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And this kind of dialogue is a continuation through this early part of the book, an escalating kind of fashion where Satan keeps coming back. I want to do this. Okay, fine, but you can't do this. I want to do this, fine, but you can't do this. And what God's doing is he's glorifying himself through this, and he's absolutely in control of the situation, which means that he's absolutely in control of your life situations. And you don't have to be afraid of the enemy. God, God knows what the plan is. And he's definitively in control of Satan. And here, he confines him in, in this passage in Revelation. And then he releases him at the end of this time. Nobody knows quite sure why, but he creates more havoc on the earth. And then, at the end of the day, God destroys Satan. And so, this... This baby that was born in Bethlehem is this king and, and this one who has all of the power over darkness. Colossians says that the darkness was created for the glory of Christ. But right now, we know that Satan is creating havoc in the world. We see the enemy in every mass shooting. We, we see him in in every pornographic image. We see him in every drug overdose, every act of immorality, every church split. Satan is at work in this world, but it's not outside of the power of God. And so while we're dealing with this fallen world that we live in, I want you to be comforted by the fact that God is not looking away. You know, we're not deists. Deists are those that see God as the one who created and kind of wound up the clock and then stepped away and let everything happen. That's not what God is. That's not who Jesus is. And so we see this really clearly, clearly in this particular passage that Jesus is definitively in control of Satan. And, and this is exciting. And this, this gives hope as he comes back for you. It helps you to fight on. It helps me to fight on. Because the Christian life is hard. But the text also tells us that this little baby who's lying in a manger will share his kingdom with you. And this is really what I want to unpack for a moment now, and it's exciting stuff. The Christ child will share his reign with you. I want you to jump ahead to verse 6 where you see the results of his coming back. In 6, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So just stop there and imagine what it might be like to reign with Christ. Not only just to be with Jesus, not only to be bowing at Jesus' feet, but the, the gift of reigning with him because of the power and generosity of God. And you see this power everywhere here. Let's jet through verses 4 and 5 and marvel at the power. In verse 4, then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Here are thrones. Here is reigning. No one's quite sure who the 12 are. Some have speculated they are the disciples. There are other theories out there too, but reigning is happening. Then as verse 4 progresses, also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus 
and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And these are the saints who will be martyred during the great tribulation, which is that seven-year period leading up to the thousand-year reign where the first three and a half years there is a pact made with Israel. Everything is going swimmingly well. And then in the second half, everything falls apart. And here we have those who came through that and were martyred for their belief. And so the purpose of the great tribulation leading into the thousand-year reign is to cleanse Israel. And it has to happen that way. Romans 11.5 tells us that so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. So what I'm saying to you is this, that even the tribulation has a purpose. Israel right now is in disobedience. Israel has not recognized its own Messiah. And so in order to cleanse Israel, in order to redeem it, God needs this tribulation period in order to do that. That's his plan. Then in verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. And this is where you come in to the picture. The first resurrection includes only the redeemed. And so we will get our new bodies. We will, we will enter in to this period of time with the believers who have survived the tribulation. But then there's another kind of resurrection We'll call it the second resurrection. And this will be the resurrection of the unconverted. And this is what the Bible talks about as Revelation progresses. And we call this the great white throne judgment. And this is not for believers. Believers, as I read scripture, and according to Paul's writing in First and Second Corinthians, there is a separate judgment for believers where we are judged not regarding salvation, but we are judged and given rewards at some accounting before Christ. This is the accounting for those that don't know Jesus. And so these are those that will receive their bodies only then to be judged to an eternity separated from God in hell because of their unbelief. But the stunning part of this is that at the great white throne judgment on that terrible day, the judge will be that baby in the manger. Jesus. He, he, he judges righteously. And, and so if you ever want a glimpse of the kind of power that he brings to the table and that he's much more than any kind of story, think of him as the final judge. The Christ child is the righteous and final judge. So this, this person is amazingly powerful. The Bible helps us understand this. In, in Revelation 20, 11, and 12, it, it helps set the stage for this great white throne judgment. The Bible says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. And I, said, I saw the dead, the small, and the great standing before God. But Jesus himself further defines that in the book of John chapter 5. The Father judges no one but has committed all judgment to me, to the Son, and has given all authority to execute judgment. 
And then the Apostle Paul wrote that God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. And Peter in Acts declared that Christ has the authority to judge the living and the dead. And so this baby in a manger, wow. Like, it's an amazing king. He's an amazing, powerful figure. And the thing that blows my mind about him is that he's made himself personally available to you and me. And here he is standing at the great white throne judging righteously. So he's the reigning king. And he's coming back for his church. And he, he'll defeat Satan. And he'll... he'll He'll be this judge in exercising his great power. But it's important as you take this all in to realize this isn't all theoretical. And and, and no matter what theological system you come from, all mainline systems believe one thing, and that is Jesus will come back again. And that's going to happen. And so... We need to understand why this matters. And so I want you to think for a moment, hey, this matters to me. This isn't just, you know, this, this sort of like a fairy tale or future or like, well, it's cool and I don't really understand it. So I, I hate one. I'll tell you what I don't like. Hate's a strong word. No, I shouldn't use that in church. Um, when people just dismiss Revelation and they say, well, I can't understand it, so... Um, Jesus coming back is good enough for me. And I always, I always had a seminary professor that would challenge us. He'd say, like, you know, and he always, he always pick on me. He'd say, hey, Mr. Johnson there. Yeah, what? I'm dead now, you know, that kind of thing. Say, well, why is Revelation important? I don't know, because it's in the Bible. Yes! Yay, I got one right! We, we're, try, we're trying to make sense of this because it's in the Bible. God put it there. It's important. We are to learn it. So it does matter. And here are some reasons that it matters. First, the Christ child's mission is ongoing. It, it's still happening. It didn't stop when he, when he died, rose, and, and ascended. He, he's Even now, before he comes back, he's acting as our high priest. He's praying for you. He, he, he's watching out for you. He, he's still the redeemer that's seeking the lost. One day we will see him as the God-man. So his mission is every bit ongoing in your life and in my life, and so we cannot discount him. Secondly, given what will happen at the end of time, the Christ child is not someone to mess with. And and, and here's, here's the problem with our current day religious belief systems, is that it's really easy to say no to Jesus when you think that he's just one of the choices. And so, well, I don't like that one, I don't like that one, I don't like Jesus, I don't like that one, I'll, I'll take, oh yeah, I like Hindu, give me that one. That'll, that'll get me to God. Or whatever the case may be. No. No. Jesus is the one who has been sent by the Father to redeem us, and we can only access God through him. He is the only one that has authority to forgive sin. He is the only one that will be there at the end of human history judging non-believers for not believing in him. Buddha's not going to be there. Muhammad's not going to be there. Joseph Smith's not going to be around. They might be in the line, 
You're not going to be judging. And so this morning, I, I just ask you, will you give yourself to this amazing person? Will you stop fighting him? Will you, will you open your heart to him? Because he is so powerful, but yet so personal. And he wants, to, he wants you to be his child. Don't mess with him. Don't wait. Now could be your time. And then, and then the, the, the final reason I really think this matter is that the Christ child is asking for our allegiance. He's asking us to go on mission for him and not to wait around. I mentioned the church age earlier. Well, the church age isn't going to last forever. I know it seems like it's going to because we've been talking about this for thousands of years, but there will be a day when human history will come to a close. And until that time happens, it's our job to go out and win disciples. It's not our job to close the deal eternally, but it's our job to get the message out. And so I want to challenge you this morning to get in the game. I want to challenge you this new year to make it a point to begin to be a mail carrier for the gospel. And maybe you can think about it like this. Maybe there's two people that you know of that you can bring the gospel to in 2020. Maybe think of it as two for 2020. And just think, if each person that goes to this church led two people to Christ in this coming year, how that would change our city. And this is what we're asked to do. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. But what I also want you to leave here this morning with is hope and joy. And, that, and, and the, the knowledge that you can keep fighting because there's more to come. And when life drags you down and when the party's over and the family all goes back home and you're sitting there in the middle of January and you're going, I got no friends, nobody cares, it seems. Just remember that the king of the universe does care. And he's coming back for you. Take joy in that. The question, though, for all of us is, what are we going to do about it? So why don't you just take a moment in your own heart, your own soul, and just ask God, like, what do you want me to do with this information? Who do you want me to tell? Or maybe for the first time you'll say, yeah, I believe now, and I want to give myself to you. Just do that for a moment, and then I'll close in prayer. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. We encourage you to receive the message that was just given, and let the Lord do a mighty work in and through you. For more information on how to connect, give to this ministry, or for more faith-based resources, visit us at myrwc.org.